If you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 9. This is Images of Jesus, part 23. Um, this is, uh, again, the Images of Jesus. We're, we're seeing shots of images of Jesus. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to, to grab one either side. A couple of you guys have already done that. Um, uh, that's a, a gift of ours to you. If you want to just take it home with you, that's cool. No sweat. Uh, we'd love to give that to you. Um, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but I want to reiterate it this week. Um, we, we have to know, and, and tonight especially in these verses, this fact comes to light that uh, God has set up this plan to redeem mankind together. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a two-part step, a two-part plan. On the cross, and, and the second thing that kind of leave this plan of redemption to a few men to spread and proclaim this message from generation to generation. So this is God's ultimate plan. Sin happened in the garden, and and we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Scripture teaches that, and God's plan to redeem the world to Himself in His Son Jesus, and then leave it to men. These This message to the world. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 30 is where we're going to start. Before we get into that, I, I want to I walk through this chart. Uh, this chart comes courtesy of the ESV Study Bible. Fire that up there, Kyle. Um, there are three major pronouncements that happen in, uh, in the book of Mark. And, and they come from starting in verse uh, 8.31 and winding up in verse 10.45 and sort of segmented with a, a couple of miracle stories. But ultimately, Jesus does three things, or three things happen in each one of these instances. First, He announces His death. In verse 8.31, He says, Jesus will suffer and be rejected and killed and will rise after three days. And there's a, an immediate failure on the part of the disciples, which is listed there in that chart. And then... Jesus teaches on discipleship. And I've defined discipleship as this. Patterning your life after the life and teaching of another. So, so many times we think of discipleship as, in a, in a religious setting as walking through a book together. Going through experiencing God. Or going through prodigal God, which is what the women will do. Or, or walking through a, some sort of Bible study together. But discipleship is so, so much more than that. And every time... In the book of Mark, where Jesus predicts his, his death, the result is the disciples don't get it, they don't understand what he's talking about, and then Jesus brings them together in an intimate setting and teaches them what it means to be a disciple. And a disciple means you are patterning your life after my life and after my teaching. That's what Jesus is commanding these people. And so when we get to the, the teaching this week of, of what it means, what Jesus is talking about in discipleship, understand that that's what he's meaning. He's, he's not trying to, not a, a, a typical understanding of what it means to be a disciple, but instead, here's what you're going to have to do to pattern your life after my teaching and my way of life. And so, uh, that's the, basically today, he'll say that he's delivered, he'll be delivered and rise again after three days, and the disciples don't understand and they, they don't know what to do about it, and then Jesus talks, finally, at the end of the verses about, uh, the first must be last, and those who receive him must be like a child to receive him. So, 
the gist of, of, of where we're, we're going tonight. And, and I, it's important for us to, to see the, this. We've talked about how the book of Mark reads like uh, walking through a museum. And so we're in the midst of this museum where Jesus predicts his death and then the disciples don't get it. And then he teaches about what it means to be uh, a real disciple. So uh, let's get into it. Verse 30 of, of chapter 9, setting the scene. Scene number one that we see is a road between Caesarea Philippi and Capernaum. And Jesus has a habit, and what he's doing here is teaching about his death. They are walking on the road from Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25, 25 miles north of Capernaum. And Capernaum is the place where Jesus probably had a house. Peter and James and John definitely had houses there. And this is where most of the ministry of the life of Jesus took place in this city of Capernaum. So what's happening is they're, they've gone north of the city of Capernaum, north of their home base, and spread the gospel. And now on the pathway from this town, Caesarea Philippi, to Capernaum, this conversation and others takes place. Verse 30. They went from there, that is Caesarea Philippi, and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. He's walking cloak and dagger. And this is, again, 25 miles. So what happens here happens in the course of a day. To, to walk 25 miles for a group of men would have taken all day long. So this is one day's worth of events. Verse 31, For he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. This is a vital vital point for us to get to. The simple phrase, delivered into the hands of men. Um, delivered into the hands is, is an important phrase because it's, it's not the it is the first time that this phrase has been uttered by Jesus in, when he's predicting his death, but it's, it brings a certain vibe of the sovereignty of God. William Lane, a commentator, says this, more than simply the coming of an individual into another's power that is, we're thinking of delivering into the hands of men, delivering yourself into the hands of men, more than just placing yourself willingly under their authority, the term connotes an actual fulfillment of God's will as expressed in Scripture. This isn't just willingly Jesus saying, I'm going to put my, my life in your hands. I'm delivering myself to your hands. It's more stating this is God's Sovereign will. I talked at the beginning that this is about redemption. This is God's plan to redeem the world. So Jesus placing himself under the power and authority of these men who will eventually kill him is a will sort of thing. William Lane continues, particularly in martyrdom, God is the one who permits or hinders the handing over and fulfillment of his deeper purposes. I'm going to say that again in a clearer way. God is the one that he hinders or he permits this, these things to happen for his own purposes. This brings reinforcement to our problem of pain discussion because it brings new insight to our definition of discipleship and what it means to follow God and has to paint the way we live our lives. We are Christ-like in attitude when we see the events of our life in view of eternity. 
It's on the screen. I want to say that again. Because it's, it's a vital point for us to see as Jesus is here teaching on discipleship. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow Christ. To pattern your life after His life and after His teaching. The events that happen in your life, good or bad or mundane. We are Christ-like in our attitude when we view those in light of eternity. Not view those in light of our current situation or our current comfort. And Jesus here is predicting, I'm going to be delivered by the will of my Father, my all-loving, all-perfect Father. I'm be delivered by His will, by His purpose, into the, into the hands of people who are wrong, who are sinful, and are prideful, and after their own power, and they will mock me and crucify me and, and severely, severely cause deep pain to me. And I submit to that fully. If we are to pattern our life after Jesus, we are to willingly walk into suffering situations in light of eternity, not in light of the present. Do you see Jesus teaching on discipleship there? We have to see, if we are to have a Christ-like attitude, we have to see the events of our life in light of eternity. Verse 32. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask Him. I connect with this point a lot. I remember times at seminary when I was uh, in the middle of a class and there was a, a teacher who was this brilliant professor. Um, whenever I think of that, I think of this guy who... Let me just tell the story. It has absolutely nothing to do with it, but it's really funny. Some of you have heard it before. I'm in the middle of a seminary class and this really, really intensely smart guy is, is teaching, and I'm in the middle of this class with a, there's probably four or five women and, and 15 or 20 guys, and just a whole lot of really smart people and me. And uh, he's up there teaching, writing on the whiteboard, and this guy is uh, rotund, round, doesn't have much of a waist. Um, so he's writing on the board, and as he's writing on the board, doing one of those, pulling, pulling his pants up. And in the midst of him riding on the board, not, not, not kidding, his pants fall to his ankles. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, revealing his tidy whities And he, he pulls them up really quickly and doesn't miss a beat. He keeps right on teaching, doesn't hesitate at all. And everybody in the room is like, And nobody says a word. Nobody, it like, it didn't happen until the break happens. We all go outside and we're like, did you see that? Oh my gosh. And so, moment, we were all sort of confused about what had just happened. And, and nobody wanted to, to remark on it. We were all quiet. Here, these disciples are intimidated because they think the rest of the people around them are really smart and and they get it and they understand. And they don't talk to each other at all about what Jesus just said. He said, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of men and they're going to kill me. And they don't talk about it because, like me in those settings, I didn't talk much in seminary because I knew if I would have said something, they'd be like, you're dumb. And you don't get it. You don't understand. And these disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And so they were intentionally quiet. And remember, this all happens in a full day's walk. 
these events happen where Jesus is predicting his death. Then, scene two, we get to this, a house in Capernaum. Probably the house of Peter, perhaps the house of, of Jesus. He's teaching on discipleship. And remember, God's redemptive plan is unfolding here. Jesus is teaching his people. In just a couple of months or a couple of weeks from now, Jesus will be on the cross. From this moment, from when he's teaching here, Jesus will be on the cross. So he's, he's laying out his plan of redemption, and now he's beginning to teach. And most of Jesus' conversations that, take, that took place, that Mark accounts, are Jesus reacting to conversations that have happened. But here, in this situation, Jesus initiates the conversation. Mark 9.33 And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Jesus gathers them probably into a living room, probably into an area where, where they were lounging around and talking, and, and he brings them together. And maybe a, we've had a long day's journey, we've had a long walk, and we're really tired and probably had some sort of drink of some kind. And now they're sitting together, and Jesus brings everybody together and breaks the silence with this question What were you guys talking about on the way? But they kept on the way. They had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Jesus knew exactly what he said. And they never, Scripture doesn't say that they said, well, Jesus, we, we were talking about something bad. Or they never say, Jesus, I'm sorry, but we were talking about who was the greatest. Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about because he rebukes them for it immediately. They have not told him that they were talking about who was the greatest, but Jesus here slaps them around. He rebukes them uh, Severe, starting in verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is the real teaching of Jesus that's happening here. These words are the, the intent of Christ. If anyone would be all. This word, serve, be last. The, the word means the, the Greek word, the New Testament was written in a language uh, called Greek, and the Greek word that is uh, shown here as serve is the word diakonos. It is one who ex- executes the commands of another. In Scripture, it's translated three different ways, as a minister, as a servant, and as a deacon. But there's a lot of subtlety to this word. We translate this word as serve most, most appropriately, most, most likely, the most times it's, it's translated in the English in the English New Testament is as this word serve, but it, it's there's there's a lot more nuances. Uh, what's being communicated is is similar to have you ever been at a, a restaurant with a really good waiter, and and your <laughs> Brian's like, no, I've never been in a restaurant with a good waiter. They're always really bad. Um, I went to. Jen and I went had dinner with Mike and Rachel last night, and we had a eh, okay sort of server because there was a time Rachel was really really thirsty, and sure her water had been empty for a couple of minutes. And in my head, the biggest priority for a for a server is to to keep an eye on your drink and make sure your drink is never empty. That's like if if you ever serve me in a restaurant and you make sure my drink is never empty, you're getting a good tip. Period. That's how and. You know, like, they see a fork fall on the floor, and so they immediately bring you a fork. They're, they're walking by your table consistently, checking out the table, checking out your body language, 
making sure there's nothing that you need. That is the nuance that this word diakonos is, is trying to communicate here. It is somebody who is looking intently into the life of another to see how they might serve them. And Jesus is teaching here, we are to serve in this sort of way. Not serve when because we're going to get a tip at the end like a, like a server, a waiter, or a waitress. Not that. Serving because this person is more important than us and we want to pour life into them. We want to be, first, we want to be last so that they can be first. We want to look intently into their life to see how we can serve them. This, these book bags, are our attempt to do that. Looking into the lives of students and, and understanding that there is a, an elementary school that's near us. There's elementary schools all over the place, but one in particular that's near us where 75% of the students are on the free lunch program, living under the poverty level, and, and thus, uh, uh, if, if you were to, to buy a, a typical school supply list, it's going to cost, Kelly said, like $70, $75 to, she's a teacher, to, to, to buy her school supply list, $70, $75. And so we have looked intently, and what does our community need? And this is an opportunity we have to serve them, and not just serve them, but look intently into their lives, and what do they need? What can we provide for them? That's what this word means. And it's, uh, John Gill says this about this verse. His pride and vanity shall be checked. He's talking about the first should be last and he'll become servant of all. His pride and vanity should be checked. His ambitions shall be frustrated. Stop it and hear that. When you're first, when, when you are Jesus, remember, teaching on discipleship. This is how you're going to follow me. The first shall be last. Your ambitions will be frustrated. Do you see that? And it's, it's totally contrary to American culture, Western culture, is to frustrate, intentionally frustrate your own ambitions for the purpose of another. Instead of being first, he shall be last. Instead of having superior reverence and respect, he shall be debased and treated with neglect and contempt. And instead of being the master over others, he will be servant of all. And I, I, want, I don't want you to, to, to pass by this and see the one who is speaking these words. Jesus Christ left heaven where he received for eternity past Praise and glory and honor and worship seated next to God. He left that to come to our world because He looked intently into our lives and saw a desperate need that we have that we could not provide for ourselves. See the discipleship, patterning patterning your life after the life and teaching of another. See Jesus setting His example of leaving perfection to come to our life, to speak into our life and provide for us a need that we couldn't provide for ourselves serving us, diakonos us, intently looking into our lives and seeing what we needed to have. It is intensely beautiful to see, especially in light of of our perspective, to see what he had to go through. Totally abandoned, totally left, totally punished, tortured, uh, a a torture that that killed most people. Most people didn't even get to the cross. They died in the... The, the whippings that took place. But Christ didn't. He, he bore those sins for our lives. And 
this is this is not a religious sort of thing. I, I've I've wrestled this week with this this understanding of of serve, and I've I've looked into my heart and I've looked into our hearts and um, ask myself and ask the the question of all of us: How well do we serve? How well do we serve? And and as I'm doing this, I'm I'm checking myself because I I don't want us to serve because we feel guilty to serve or because I stood up in front of you and said, you need to serve or because Jesus stood up in front of us and said, we need to serve. And there's there there can be, especially in a church from a religion standpoint, there can be a religious element to this service. But does not serve so that I can get Jesus to like me better. This is not serve so I can get God to like me better. It is the, the expressed purpose of this plan of God teaching on discipleship is His plan of redemption. Remember, the plan of redemption, God sends Jesus to the earth to die and rise again, to, to lead the way into relationship with God again. And part two of that plan is for Jesus to leave that with men who will be His disciples and spread His message. The purpose of this command to be Jesus' disciples, to serve in this diakonos sort of look intently into their life sort of way, is not so that He will like us better when we serve, but it's part of His plan. Glory comes to God when we serve. It's the map to success, not the map to getting from God. It's the map to glory coming to God. Do you, do you see that? It's, it's vital for us to see that. Now, understanding that, I'm going to get in our face a little bit. Understanding it's not so that Jesus can like us better, because so God will bless our lives, or so that we'll have healthy children and, and a happy marriage. That's not the purpose of service. The purpose of service is that's the, the direction that Jesus has chosen to go to lead us to bring glory to Him so that people might know the greatness of who He is. Now, who are you serving? Seriously, ask yourself that question. Who do you serve? Look back at your week last week. Who did you serve? I love my wife deeply. Sometimes I serve her well. I serve myself well. I love my kids. Sometimes I serve them well, but mostly I serve myself well. I love you guys, my church. Sometimes I serve you well, but mostly I serve myself well. Then I look at my neighbors. There's a couple of guys who I've gotten a decent sort of relationship with. Sometimes I serve them, but not really. Sometimes I, I cut my neighbor's grass, and that's serving him and, and, and great, but most of the time, most of my life is spent serving me. How well, look back at your week, think intently, write down in a, in a journal, write down on a piece of paper, think about it later. Think about how you served people this week. It's not from a religious standpoint, but from a, this is the way God intended to bring glory to himself standpoint. This here is not about 
hey, look at North Church and how great we are giving backpacks to a bunch of poor kids. This is, God has commanded us to give out of our abundance into somebody else's lack so that people might pay attention to the fact that there's a glorious God who has servants on this world who want to make the world a better place for people to live in. That's what this is about. That's what service is about. And we trace it back to Jesus Christ, who, out of his abundance, looked intently into our need, came and served and met that need so that we could, out of our lack, experience joy and full lives by knowing God. But service... I talked about my wife and my kids and my neighbors, and then I look at my community, and, and I do a poor, poor job of serving my community. Our church does a poor job of serving our community. We fail miserably. But the gospel in service. Jesus will show these guys very soon as he's teaching here on discipleship. Patterning your life after the teaching and life of another. Jesus is teaching in this moment to these guys. He's gathered them around and slapped them around and said, you don't serve well, you're trying to serve yourself, stop it. And in the midst of that, just before this, he said, I'm going to go suffer and I'm going to go die. I am serving you. Jesus will show them very soon the ultimate service. And the cross speaks these words. You, not because you can for me, but it's because who I am. I am your servant. You see the cross speaking words to you. I am your servant. Looking intently into your need and providing it out of my abundance. I feel that the book of Mark is all about Jesus presenting, Mark presenting Jesus as the suffering servant. Never greater than in this message, in this chunk of Scripture, as Jesus, the suffering servant. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise. And Jesus is not only the suffering servant, but He is the example setter. It's been a a, a quick message tonight, and and I want to leave us with this thought. I want us to, to look intently, with deep focus, into the cross... Drink in its pain. Drink in its suffering. And look intently into a glorified Jesus Christ. Pre-cross. And, and see the beauty of heaven. Get the, the picture. Think of heaven. When, when you think of heaven, get that picture into your mind. And drink deep the, the abundance that is heaven. And then drink deep the pain that is the cross and see this suffering servant. And then my, my, my heart and my prayer, the end result of, of this message tonight, the message of Jesus is this, that we would look intently into what Jesus did and be motivated by the cross to rise and go and serve. Not motivated by guilt, not motivated by religion, but motivated by the cross and the gospel to go and serve our wives, our husbands, our children, our neighbors, our communities, everywhere, that we would go and rise and serve, not to get from God, but because of what He has done in our hearts, that the gospel 
and the cross would command us to serve. That we would be compelled to serve like Jesus did, out of His strengths and into our weaknesses. May the cross compel us to serve. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this simple and beautiful picture. Lord, would You burn into our heads all that the cross is. God, never before have I looked at the cross as a message of servanthood. But God, it it is a beautiful picture of that. God, draw our hearts to You and cause us to see the cross, to see Your Son in glory. That we would rise from this place desiring to serve as You served, God. And desiring to suffer as You suffered, Father. God, we thank You for the cross. We thank You for Your willing suffering servant, Jesus. It's in His name that I pray. Amen.